Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. Today is the day we're talking digestion. It might sound basic, but it might be our most important topic yet. Yes, choosing the right foods for you are important, but digesting and assimilating the nutrients from our food is where it matters. We'll be covering the simplest thing you can do straight away to improve digestion, the top digestive supportive foods, keys to digestive healing, what the second brain is and the role it plays in digestion, and some slippery foods that you'll want to keep on hand. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I'm Megan Teltner, a nutritionist, two-time best-selling author, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Joining me as always is Josh Gatalis, the man I share my meals with who helps me digest easy. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. If there's one topic we can't get enough of in our household... It's digestion. And if anyone can make this topic exciting, it's going to be us, right, Josh? Absolutely. (laughs) I think we actually talk about poo more, but yes, this is a very basic but critical topic. And I have no doubt it's going to change the way people think about what, and even more so, how they're eating. I have a question for you, Josh. How common do you think it is that people might be able to resolve their digestive issues simply by slowing down at mealtime? like taking a few deep breaths before they start eating, looking at their food, chewing their food, doing this, of course, without screens on, and then maybe taking a few moments after their meal just to sit and digest. Well, it's funny you say that because we're always trying to have a moment after we eat. And our son now says, uh, are you done digesting yet? <laughs> <laughs> he wants us to come play with him. And we're, our excuse is always, we're just digesting. But yes, we're going to get into that in great detail. But first, where did we first learn that digestion plays such a big role? Well, we can attribute a quote going all the way back to Hippocrates. It's actually been attributed to two people, but Hippocrates was the first where he said, death begins in the colon. Did you not mention the other person because of this last name of his that you might know? No, I was going to get there. Oh, okay. (laughs) Eli Mechnikov. There you go. Yeah, Eli Mechnikov was a immunologist or he studied immunology in great detail. And he was actually attributed to discovering that the Bulgarians consumed this sour milk that played a role in their longevity. And he discovered lactobacillus bulgaricus, named after them. Interesting. The fermented milk, by the way, was a little bit of foreshadowing of what's to come in this episode. (laughs) So yeah, and now everyone takes a probiotic. So the colon and the gut is really where everything begins and everything ends, right? Both figuratively and more technically. Why care about digestion? Well, digestion isn't just a function in the body that at times makes us feel desperately uncomfortable or maybe embarrassed in public if you let a toot slip. There, I I said it. But it is the process that turns the food we eat into us. We take a bite of whatever it is, or a sip as the case may be. We chew it in our mouth. It breaks down enough that we can swallow it in the stomach. Digestive juices are secreted. It moves into the small intestine. And more processes take place where eventually that first bite of food we took 
parts of it become the cells that make up the tissues, that make up the organs, that make up our body. The food we eat becomes us. And that is done through the process of digestion. The phrase, you are what you eat, often gets thrown around. But that's exactly it. When you actually think about the fact that we're obviously not the same size we were when we were born. So that had to be built out of something. And our cells are constantly turning over. So what have you been building your cells out of over the past seven years or more? Because we think that all of our cells have been replaced over about seven years. So we're really only seven years old ever. I often joke about the French fry brain. You've heard me talk about this. I think we talked about it when we talked in school to the little ones. But the idea that if the food we eat becomes what we are, and we think about our brain, and our brain is made up primarily of fat. So the quality of the fat you eat will dictate what your brain is made out of. Not so directly, but you can think about it this way. So we can have French fry brains made out of French fry fat, or we could have walnut brains made out of the quality essential undoctored fats that are in walnuts. And that's just one very simplistic example of how you can think about the quality of the food we eat and how it impacts what we're built out of. Well, one of the reasons why I love talking about digestion, studying digestion, and asking people about digestion is it's a treasure trove of information. When you say asking people about digestion, you walk by someone and they're like, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm good. How's your digestion? I think I might start doing that. Enough with the small talk. Enough with the, yeah. I don't care about people's day, really. I just care about how their digestion. (laughs) So, you know, it really tells us how we're assimilating food and on a more, I guess, spiritual, psychosocial level, how we're assimilating life. And just to give you a bit of a pre-warning here, I think as we dive in and out of the digestive conversation, a lot of physical stuff comes into play and a lot of mental stuff comes into play as well. And Megan, you had an interesting experience with digestion in your journey. I have. And I think a lot of people's health journeys, whether they know it or not, actually begins in the gut with digestion. I've shared my history, my health history, and my story of healing from Crohn's disease extensively in our Can You Cure an Autoimmune Disease episode. So please go check that one out. It's a really important one. But my journey with Crohn's was that life wasn't good in my perspective. I was 25 and I was dealing with a job that wasn't working for me, a boyfriend that was overseas that wasn't quite working out. There was a whole mass of things that were challenging me. And we all have different ways of coping with life on a mental capacity. And I kept trying to put on a smiley face and keep going and pretend everything was fine until what happened with me was that I basically imploded. My guts were on fire, literally with this inflammation. So I kept recognizing digestive issues and was pursuing it that way. But part of my healing was also the mental component, recognizing that it's never just one part of the body. And there's usually going to be a mental capacity, especially when it comes to digestion. And so much of people who are dealing with anxiety, depression, insomnia, other types of fear-based nervous system stuff are going to feel it on a physical level in the gut. And we have a lot of phrases that we use to describe this, right? Like we might get butterflies in the stomach or a gut feeling. Mm -hmm. Any others you can think of? Well, usually when people talk about their instinct, Mm -hmm. they they refer to it in their abdominal region. Does it come from instinct? 
like in your body, the stinky part? It's instinct. <laughs> That's just one of my good, really good bad jokes. Good, bo- good one, Grandpa Josh. Or or a pit in the stomach, right? Like yeah. people say a pit in the stomach. Or my stomach dropped. Yeah. Like or when you my... get bad news and you feel that like, and you can feel it, you get bad news and you For can sure. feel that sensation. Or if you're dealing with anxiety, whenever I'm dealing with it or having an acute sort of case, I feel like this unsettling disturbance in my center, the center of my body where my gut resides. And then people have physical symptoms yeah, based on their gut. Like some people will get constipated when they're stressed. Some people will get diarrhea when they're stressed. And some people will even go as far as vomit when they're stressed or get nauseous. Mm -hmm. So we have these nervous system or psychosocial experiences that then translate into physical experiences because that gut is such a good assimilator of both food, which we'll talk about, and life. Let's start with the journey of digestion. We've made our case for the association between the nervous system and digestion. The first step for digestion, most people think, is putting the food in their mouth, but that's actually not it. It's something called the cephalic phase. Do you want to describe the cephalic phase? Well, that's when we use all of our senses to prepare for digestion. So Megan, come on a journey with me back a couple million years ago. Okay. When humans roam this planet. And how would we actually get to a point where we're eating a meal? We would go out, we would get our tools sharpened, we would gather our friends or our tribe, we would go out into the field and track an animal, we would find it, kill it, drag it back to the... You can speed up the the process. Make a fire, you'd smell the fire. Okay, process the animal, cook it. And then eventually you eat it with all your friends and family right around you. Versus now. Versus now, you literally can pick up a phone, have an app on it and order it right to your door. Like I was going to give a different example of how you could actually reach out of your window of your car, bring food in and scarf it down while driving 150 kilometers an hour on the freeway. But Megan. What? That's actually better than what you can do now because when you did a drive-through, you would actually have part of that cephalic phase happening because you would have to like drive there and you'd smell it coming from the building. And then for the record, he is not recommending drive. I'm not. You'd pull up to the window, which is still not good. But like now you can be working, 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 order your meal, working, 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 and shows up at your door and then you eat. And you eat while working, working, working. So that completely cuts out the cephalic phase of digestion, which is when we use all of our senses, our smell, our sight, our hearing. Everyone has had this experience when you take your time for a meal and you cook it and you know you digest way better afterwards. I just thought of a really funny story, Josh. We had talked about on our business, Nutrition and Business Podcast, about a time in your life where you were working and teaching basically all across the city. And you once got pulled over for eating quinoa while driving. (laughs) You bet I did. You fought the ticket. I did. I got the biggest ticket you can get without having your license taken away. Right. By this police officer who was really not nice. And really, when I went and fought it, the person just threw it out anyway. He was eating quinoa in, in stall traffic. <laughs> in in stop and go traffic. And I was in the stop phase. I wish you'd been arrested and I got, for that. I got charged with reckless driving with six demerit points. <laughs> Should have been charged with reckless digesting. <laughs> That'll be the new court. So cephalic phase is so important. And from a physiological perspective, we can actually release and secrete up to 60% of some of the enzymes and digestive juices we need for digestion 
before any food has entered our mouth. The simplest way to put this into effect in your home at mealtime, before you eat, whether you're eating on your own or you've got a family, I just did it. I just did it subconsciously, is to sit and take three to five deep, full breaths. This helps shift your body from the sympathetic, the fight or flight, the high beta brainwave active mode into a rest and digest mode where circulation, the blood can actually go to the digestive system and your body will work just a little bit better at breaking down and assimilating the nutrients from your food. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, get serious, Josh and Megan. A few breaths is going to change how I digest. Yeah, it does. When you don't take your time to really get into that cephalic phase, one meal doesn't make a difference. Two meals doesn't make a difference. Maybe even a week. But when you do this day in and day out, month after month, year after year, you're slowly wearing down your factory that processes the food and turns it into you. Yes. Digestive issues don't usually start on a dime unless you've eaten something that really doesn't agree with you. They, they build up. If anyone can break down and simplify the complexity of this process, it's you, Josh. So go for it. Yeah, it's quite complex. It's not complicated, but it is complex. And the digestive process, we can think of it like a factory, right? Like with many different machines all the way down. We start by chewing, we release enzymes, mostly carb digesting enzymes. And you know what? I'm not going to get into all the details. I have a whole course on this topic, but that goes into our stomach. We release stomach acid. We release some protein digesting enzymes. We mix it up in the stomach. And then slowly that's released into the small intestine, uh, little bits at a time. And there we have the gallbladder, which is going to release bile, which helps emulsify fats. We have the pancreas there that's releasing bicarbonate to neutralize that really acidic so substance. So basically and- there's a whole bunch of organs sec- What are you talking about? There's a whole bunch of organs that secrete the appropriate liquids, juices, enzymes necessary to break the foods we've eaten down into its component parts where it can be digested, where it can be broken down and absorbed through the lining of the small intestine and put to work in the body. Yeah, what she said. (laughs) What I said is a lot easier to explain, to repeat than what you just said. This is what I heard. (laughs) But, you know, it's a really complex environment. And the way I describe this to my clients and students is that imagine walking into a rainforest. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And just looking around. It's a complex ecosystem. Can you fully understand it? No. Sort of. You can understand aspects of it. We can attempt to study it, but we can never fully understand it. And it's unique to every person. Now, intertwined within this whole digestive tract is called the enteric nervous system, sometimes referred to as the second brain. And we have made a lot of connections already between our digestive system and how we feel and our emotional health as well. And we often feel a lot of this coming through the digestive tract, as we've already discussed. But from a scientific perspective, and what we've actually seen biochemically, is that there's actually lots of neuroactive chemicals made in the gut, like serotonin. 95% of the body's serotonin is actually made in the gut. Now, one of the misconceptions when people hear that is that a lot of that can actually travel to the brain and work as a, a neurotransmitter in the central nervous system, but it can't. But it's to illustrate that there's a lot happening in the gut. We also have 70% of the immune system in the gut. Wait a second. So you're implying that what we eat 
doesn't just affect the immune system on a nutritional level, but it affects the immune system just by the food and what makes contact in the gut. Mm -hmm. You don't say. Yeah, you know, like, I think there needs to be a paradigm shift that... (laughs) Oh, you think? (laughs) (laughs) That it's not just, you're not, you are what you eat. It's, It's actually, you are what your little bacteria in your gut eat and the little organisms in there. So... You know, sometimes the system can get out of balance, as we know with Crohn's disease, as you mentioned, other inflammatory bowel diseases like ulcerative colitis, celiac disease. You know, people have other issues like irritable bowel syndrome, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Well, it's worth mentioning that most, nearly all autoimmune diseases have a gut component to them. They do. They have a leaky gut component. And we've discussed autoimmunity in detail in a previous podcast. But the main system that I use and teach is called the five hours of digestive healing. We have a whole course on this. Mm -hmm. The main way we really address digestive imbalance is by using what's called the five R's of digestive healing. Tell me about these five R's. Yeah, and it helps us to understand that there's a certain process and certain things that need to be addressed in order to make sure that this factory that turns food into us is working well. So the first R is remove. Mm -hmm. And with all things functional nutrition and culinary nutrition, you want to think about what you need to take out and what you need to bring in. And this is so important because... I think one of the questions we get most often is, what do I need to take? What supplement can I take? What food do I need to take? And it's never one thing you need to add in. As long as you're not removing the things causing the problem, you're mopping up the floor with the leaky bucket with a lot of holes in it. You've got to remove those issues, the foods, the habits, the lifestyle practices that are contributing to the digestive issue. Right. And that could be just rushing to have a meal, as we discussed earlier. Or it could be a particular food. A very obvious example is if you're celiac, you have to take out gluten in order to move on. The next R is replace. So replacing digestive factors like enzymes and hydrochloric acid and all the wonderful juices that we need and use along that process to break down our food. We only have one chance to break it down mechanically in the mouth and then the rest is all chemical. So sometimes those chemicals or those juices get exhausted. The cells that make them get exhausted and they need a little support using enzymes or bile acids or a number of other tools we have available. So we've got remove, replace. I was going to go with reduce, reuse, recycle. Remove, replace. What's the third? Repair. Repair. And this is where you need to take therapeutic supplements. You can do therapeutic nutrition, which we're going to chat about. But the practices and foods that will start to repair the gut issue. Yeah, the gut is like a wall around a city you can think about. And just like back in the day where that wall needed to have good integrity to protect everyone on the inside, so does our gut. And parts of that wall can get broken. Of course, a lot of people recognize that as leaky gut syndrome or intestinal permeability. So that needs to be healed. That integrity needs to be healed to help the process of moving things through the gut at a selective basis and making sure the right ones go in and the bad ones stay out in an appropriate manner. And is number four re-inoculate? It is, Megan. Oh, I remember a thing or two. Yeah, so we'll get into that in more detail, but that's bringing in the good guys in a number of ways. And then finally... By the good guys, you mean the good bacteria. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and also feeding them. Feeding them. Is the fifth R rest? It's very similar to that, actually. And it's rebalance. Okay, that Where works. rest is a really important factor. 
Because if you do all of these steps, but you don't change the way you got to the situation in the first place, then it's a futile effort. This rule, I'm going to call it a rule, a hard and fast rule applies to life. If you don't like where you're at today, don't keep doing the things that got you here. If you have a challenge with your health, don't keep doing the things that degraded your health or took you down that stream. So when it comes to healing the body or healing the mind or healing your life or whatever it may be, you've got to change those habits, a pattern interrupt, I believe it's called. And part of that is rebalancing so that you now nourish a new pattern that creates a new digestive habit in the body, a new digestive system. Yeah, actually, it does replace itself and build a new digestive system, a new way of functioning. But also as a person, you would naturally then develop new ways of operating. You can't separate the two. There's an equation, Megan. More of the same plus more of the same equals... More of the same? Yeah. When I healed Crohn's, which I did, I didn't go back to all the dissatisfaction in my life and the white rice, rice cake, margarine diet that I had, which I ended up on because I was so limited, I felt like, in what I could eat without having a reaction. I don't know that anything is the same in my life from how I lived, how I thought, how I ate to how it is now. And I'm just one example. I know so many of you listening have your own stories or even small examples of this that you experience on a day-to-day basis. And really, any symptom is really just a clue that we're not heading in the right direction in life. Right? So it's the language of the body. And if we listen, we can change course. Let's take a moment's pause so you can meet culinary nutrition expert Brad Kahn. It's rare that I have a chance to take a prospective student call, but when I do, it's always a treat. And timing aligned just so that I had the chance to personally chat with and get to know Brad before he enrolled in the culinary nutrition expert program. From the get-go, I loved his spirit, humor, and can-do attitude. Here's Brad to share more about what he's been up to since graduating. Hi, my name is Brad Kahn. I am a 2020 graduate of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program from Vancouver, Canada. As a fitness professional and lover of all things foods, the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program helped reaffirm many of my existing culinary beliefs and practices while giving me the tools and skill set to nutritionally elevate some of my favorite recipes, create my own recipes, and prepare meal plans specific to my clients' dietary needs and performance objectives. Since graduating, I have rebranded and launched my coaching business, the Holistic Lifestyle Academy, where we empower people to live their best life through culinary nutrition and customized movements. Re-energizing their life with improved nutrition, time-saving tricks and skills, and pain-free movements provides our clients with the mental freedom to excel in all aspects of their life. Follow us on Instagram at Holistic Lifestyle Academy to experience this for yourself. Megan and her whole team have been incredibly supportive before, during, and after the program. The Culinary Nutrition Expert Program is just the beginning to this incredible ride. Brad is one of many graduates who've been able to pivot and enhance their health and wellness business with the addition of their culinary nutrition training. Links to everything Brad is working on right now is over on our blog at culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast. Just click on this episode. If you're curious about how the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program could empower you in the kitchen and allow you to confidently share this knowledge with others, or perhaps kickstart or enhance an existing health and wellness business, then head over to culinarynutrition.com 
com slash program to learn more. There is tons of information over there, including a sweet little preview trailer that I think you'll enjoy. Now let's head back to today's conversation. Let's talk about what people can do. Some really simple but powerfully effective strategies that will support the digestive process. And everyone listening, just do these. Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. <laughs> well, we've already addressed one of them, and that's resting and taking a couple deep breaths before you eat. Yes. Getting into the cephalic phase of digestion. Yes. And though you're not always going to be cooking, oftentimes when you cook your meals from scratch, you think, oh, this is, you know, I'm at home. I'm doing this. It's so nice. I still feel when I'm cooking, there's still like, it's a frenetic process in some cases, especially getting the dinner on the table quickly. So no matter where your food's coming from, whether it's delivered to your door, through your car window, as the case may be, or it's something you're cooking, take those few deep breaths. We like to light a candle and have those moments. And, you know, a prayer before you eat, whether you call it a prayer or a moment of gratitude, whatever it is, does this job for you. So even just taking a moment, looking at your plate and expressing gratitude for the people who grew it, who got it to the store, for the work you get to do that gives you money to buy it, whatever the case may be, find those moments just to take pause and bring your mind and body to a state of joy and gratitude and love. And that will help to digest better at what you're eating. Something we really like too is, is some nice music. We do. That's helpful as well. Quietly, quiet music. We both have the same threshold. Yes, exactly. Sometimes you're like, okay, we got to turn this off. The next in order, I guess. Oh, and lighting. 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 Yeah. yeah. Well, you did mention a candle. I did. Yeah. I don't like LED. I'm very sensitive to lighting. So I I, I should be a lighting designer. You should. Well, next is chewing is the next step. We don't have teeth in our stomach. It's our only chance at mechanical breakdown of our food. So we want to chew our food till it's basically like a peanut butter consistency. We don't want big pieces. This is actually going to help with the nutrient assimilation, well, digestion and assimilation or digestion absorption and assimilation. So we want to make sure we chew our food really well. And that's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people. You have to consciously think about making sure you chew your food. We are trying to teach our son to chew a bit more. And he, and then we're like, when he poos, we're like, "Uh oh, someone didn't chew their goji berries. (laughs) You know, when people say like, oh, corn goes through me like a bullet or different salads, different people have different issues with different things. If you're recognizing food in your poo, you just didn't chew it enough because you do not have teeth in your stomach. And a great benefit to chewing is that it forces you to slow down while you eat, which is also important for digestion. Another tip is to actually put your fork or spoon down between bites will help you slow down. There was a practitioner by the name of Fletcher, and he invented something called Fletcherizing, which he told... The the word Fletcherizing comes up in our home way (laughs) more frequently than it needs to or should. (laughs) And he told his patients to make sure they chew at least 100 times per bite. Right. And I read another book, I think it was uh, by the title of Gulp, and she calculated how much we would be chewing. And basically you would be just finishing up one meal and then have to eat the next meal. So it's not quite practical, but it definitely illustrates a point here. You bring me to our next point, which is to stop eating. At some point, you have to stop eating. So you you can think about it. I like to think about it as those toys or 
those things kids have, like a marble run where you drop a marble in the top and it goes through this whole system and comes out the end. You put the food in the top, let it go through the system before you add more to the top. Because if you just keep adding it, it's going to build up and build up and build up and that will negatively impact digestion. So some people describe themselves as grazers. They just eat all day and maybe that works. But for a lot of people and most people I'd say, you need to eat, stop eating, let your body digest before you move on to the next snack or the next meal. And I think this also points to the growing interest in intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. Ooh, good point. Where one of the benefits probably has to do with the fact that you're giving your digestive tract a break. Yeah. And in our digestive tract, just to get a little sciencey here for a moment, we have what are called migrating motor complexes, which help move things along. And you want to allow them to perform their activity even between meals to kind of clear the field to help regenerate those cells and to give digestion a break. So there have been some interesting studies as well done on fasting and how that relates to uh, autoimmune diseases and even pretty severe digestive diseases as well. You want to avoid too much water at meals. A common habit is you don't drink water all day or whatever it is, and you sit down to the meal with a tall glass of hopefully water meaning not other liquids, but you gulp all that down before you eat, that is going to challenge your digestion because you've now got this massive volume of liquid in your belly diluting your digestive juices. So it's optimal to drink lots of water for sure throughout the day, but away from meals. So what you drink at your meal is just enough to keep the food moving through. However, if you're chewing enough, you may not need water at all with your meal. Now, when our food has gone through the whole journey down our tube and finally made it to the end, we time to poop. It's time to poop, but we have to make time to poop. Sometimes we're too rushed in the morning. We're too rushed when our body wants to naturally poop. And because of that, we experience constipation and really hold it in. I remember, Megan. Yes. I went on a uh, five-day backpacking trip. And there was someone on our trip who didn't want to poop in the outback over five days and they didn't poop for five days and held it in. I had a client, now we're telling poo stories. (laughs) I had a client when I used to see clients way back in the day who had serious constipation issues. And I remember looking at her food diary and she'd eaten the Olive Garden tour of Italy on a Sunday Mm -hmm. and didn't have a bowel movement till the Saturday. So six days with the Olive Garden tour of Italy, very slowly making its way through, consider a garden hose heated to 37 degrees roughly. Imagine what comes out the other end and what is created in the process of that food just putrefying in the colon. I threw in the word putrefy. Yeah. Well, there are actually chemicals that have been recorded like indol scadols, perfinogens that are toxic to the body yeah. that can come from being constipated chronically. And I call it the reabsorption of poop juice. <laughs> and in fact, in Sat Dharm Carr's book on breast cancer, she mentions that the more constipated a woman is when they're pooping every two to three days, they have a five times increased risk of getting breast cancer. So there is definitely a correlation with health. Let's dive into how we can use foods for healing when it comes to digestion. Oh, I love talking about foods for healing. There's a module in the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program called Foods for Healing, in fact. There are key, nutrient-dense, easy-to-digest, highly absorbable foods that are powerful for a variety of conditions. 
And one of the ones we love is bone broth. Megan is the master of bone broth here in our home. And we always have a good one brewing and some in the freezer. We actually drink it and we also use it sometimes in in rice or other recipes to really soup up the nutritional value. Soup up. Good one. Yeah. Now, bone broth is so nutritious because it pulls all those amazing nutrients out of the bone. If you've ever made a bone broth, you know that those bones are quite brittle by the end of the cooking process. And that's because we pulled out the connective tissue, you get chondroitins, you get glucosamines in there, you get collagen, you get a whole bunch of minerals that were in the bone, and now it's soluble in a basically liquid form. If you put vegetables in there as well, or any herbs or spices, or even medicinal mushrooms, you get that as well in the bone broth. Josh just spoiler alerted my recipe. There's so many easy options with bone broth. The most basic is to get a few pounds of bones, maybe two or three pounds of bones only from a butcher that has quality bones. You do not want to be making bone broth out of feedlot animals. You don't want to use them for anything. So you want to make sure you're getting a quality source first and foremost, and you throw those bones in a pot with water and boil them. I recommend doing a quick boil, skimming off the scum, and then you refill the pot, bones in, fill with water. Now to soup it up, as Josh said, add a bulb's worth of garlic. So crush it up, throw in all those garlic cloves, a chopped onion, some celery, some carrots. So that's like the basic. And then I would add, sometimes I add reishi mushroom, some shaga mushroom, a little bit of maca, some goji berries, any other things I have around. I'll basically add turmeric and ginger are also great in there. You can throw all that in and you simmer it for anywhere from two to 10 hours if you want to on low. And that will start to extract all those minerals from the bones. As Josh mentioned, you strain it out and that is your liquid gold. Another great healing food is ghee. Ghee is clarified butter or a form of clarified butter, which takes out the milk solid. So a lot of people who have digestive issues have issues with dairy, but ghee can be well tolerated because those milk solids are taken out, the lactose and the whey and um, those other things that they could be reacting to. The best way to eat ghee is by the spoonful. Just kidding, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> no, you aren't. <laughs> no, I'm not. I love you ghee. Love I, I eat a lot of it. I love it. I put a scoop in my morning hot elixir, like a scoop, like, I don't know, maybe two to three tablespoons worth, which is generous, I know. And you basically would use ghee the same ways you would use butter. So when you're cooking vegetables, it's stable for high heat cooking, spreading on toast, whatever you're eating. So you just, whatever you use butter for, swap it with ghee, and then you don't have the same risk of the digestive irritation from the proteins or the sugars. You're going to get some fat-soluble vitamins in there that are so important for digestive healing, like vitamin A, vitamin K, vitamin D as well, that you know, really the cow would have consumed from the grass they would have been consuming. Here's a hot tip. Rumor has it, if you get butter from cows in June, so they eat all this grass in June, make their milk that's turned into the butter, that's turned into the ghee, it has higher levels of vitamin K. Interesting. Another really great one is flaxseed. Flaxseed has a coating on the seed that has what's called a demulcent effect. And the untechnical term Megan and I like to give to it is a snotty consistency. Or mucilaginous. Mucilaginous. It's really soothing to the digestive tract and you can do it two ways. You can soak the flax seeds overnight, like a quarter cup of flax seeds in a liter of water and then strain the flax seeds out. 
Or you can boil them for about 20 minutes, a few tablespoons, and it releases that mucilaginous coating as well. And then you can drink that liquid. Yeah, you could do about one tablespoon to one cup of water and you might want to add a little bit of honey to it if there's any flavor issues. And that water is going to be thick and slimy, but so soothing to the gut. And it can cause some rapid evacuation, we'll call it, just as it can actually cling to and pull some of the mucus out of the gut and that can leave the body quite rapidly. But that tea itself is very soothing. Another one with similar properties is chia. And you might know this from eating chia puddings or a chia bowl where you let the chia soak in a nut milk and it thickens up. One of my favorite ways to enjoy chia is actually making a chia pudding where you soak the chia in water or a nut milk and then blend it. And for the gut, it's nice to put a, maybe a drop of peppermint oil in it. You could put some cacao in it to make it chocolate or a little bit of fruit blended if the seeds aren't an issue for you. But to eat that as a pudding has that beautiful mucilaginous benefit that is really soothing to the gut. Another really soothing herb is slippery elm powder. This is the inner bark of a tree. I actually remember harvesting it when I was at the herbal sanctuary and we were harvesting it outside from this tree trunk and it started raining a little bit and we had to, <laughs> we had to run under the barn roof really quickly because everything was turning slimy. That's funny. I used to give it out. I actually think I gave out the bark that you had harvested because you gave me some because those are the kind of gifts nutritionists give each other when they're dating. And it was in my, I don't remember what class it would have been in oh, probably my healing foods class. And I'd give a little piece to everyone to get them to start chewing it. And within minutes, like everyone's like slobbery at the mouth. You like over salivate and this gets so slimy. But that sliminess to it has the healing magic. So what's interesting is slippery elm chia and flax, what we're trying to harness from them is their soluble fibers. In conventional medicine, one of the common recommendations with people with digestive issues is to go on a low residue diet, meaning mm -hmm. like a very, very, very low fiber or no fiber diet, which is completely discounting this incredible healing property of some of these foods, right? So we don't want to discount the whole world of fiber. We just want to make sure we're consuming the right ones at the right time. So you can get slippery elm as an herb to make into a tea, you can also make lozenges by getting the powder and mixing it with a little bit of honey and you freeze that and then you suck on them. I'm not personally a fan of the lozenges. They make me want to barf a little bit, but we do make them in our herbal class and they do work. They're also great for a cough or sore throat. There was a study published quite a while ago now by Cheney and he used cabbage juice to heal ulcers and the average days that people heal their ulcers was 10 days. With drinking cabbage With about juice. An, a liter of cabbage juice a day. Cabbage juice is surprisingly delicious. I love it with mixing some apple. So I'll maybe put one apple in and a little bit of fresh ginger to make it a little more palatable. When you use a purple one, it's beautiful in color. And this is like one of those sleeper hit nutrient powerhouse drinks that you won't believe until you try. Now, moving on with our food discussion, as I mentioned earlier, we always want to think about what we have to take out before what we put in. Yes. You want to ensure that you are doing that R step, the removal step. And one of the first things when it comes to eating a digestive healing diet is to ensure that the foods and meals you're making are prepared mindfully with clean ingredients, specifically two keys, and this relates highly to restaurant food, is the sugar and the bad oil. Because I, I don't eat sugar and I haven't in almost two years. I find 
the sweetness in restaurant food almost intolerable at this point, like, because it stands out so much to me, which tells me how much sugar is being used. And of course, you're not going to be in most places, they're not using high quality oils, it's vegetable oil in large quantities. And those two things alone can throw you right off, even if you think you've ordered a healthy meal at a restaurant. So we also want to avoid gluten and dairy, because so many people are sensitive to these foods. And there's really no perfect way to figure out if you are sensitive. There's lots of tests out there. I actually use some of them in my practice that can be helpful in the investigative process, but there's nothing that's actually 100% accurate. When I see clients, they have to be dairy and gluten-free for at least a month. And I can't even tell you how many times we start working together and they say, oh, I've already come this far because of what your assistant told me I had to do before coming to see you. Right. And we have two amazing episodes, one specifically on dairy and one all about gluten. So be sure to listen to them if you still need some convincing and you want to hear some of the evidence and the facts. The next thing, so people eliminate gluten, but can often and easily replace it with crappy gluten-free food. And gums used in those foods as binding agents, basically to replace the gluten, are known digestive irritants. Things like guar gum, different types of bean gums. If you look on an ingredient list and you see a gum on it, and I'm not talking about chewing gum, you want to be mindful because those are common digestive irritants. And then really anything that you don't recognize as food. (laughs) Well, there's that too. Flavors, coloring agents, preservatives, additives. Well, the thing about coloring agents and added flavors is that you never know exactly what those ingredients are. That's one of the biggest challenges. There can be things in them that you react directly to. We mentioned processed oils already, and of course, fried foods you want to avoid. So the keep out in terms of common irritants include dairy and gluten, the gums, processed oils, coloring agents, added flavor, any kind of preservative really when you have no clue what it is and you want to avoid those fried foods, especially those fried in lousy oil. Remember that there is an energy in home-cooked meals that cannot be replicated no matter what. So that alone, if you're really looking to support digestive health, you're going to have to start cooking in your home kitchen. And this is the only way you'll know exactly what it is you're consuming And it will help you ensure that what you're eating is the right diet for you. One other little add-in you want to consider is... Fermented foods. So Josh had mentioned the soured milk way at the beginning. Yeah, that Ellie Mechnikov discovered. There you go. The Bulgarians were consuming that were very high in Lactobacillus bulgaricus. But we have a number to choose from all over the world. And we've incorporated a lot of those into our diet. A few examples are sauerkraut. Yes, which we make at home, kimchi, which we also make at home, kefir, which yes. which can be made from milk. We uh, make ours from coconut milk and in a really simple way, and this isn't true kefir, but you get a fermented drink, is to add a probiotic to coconut milk and leave that out for 24 hours. And we have some resources on this podcast episode page on the website that will help you do all of these. That's coconut yogurt though, right? Because you, you're not using kefir grains? Right, yeah. technically, okay. yes. Miso which is made from soy, cider vinegar as well. And, you know, there's pickles and there's lots of other things out there that that are fermented that multiply the microorganisms, the good microorganisms, the bacteria that are beneficial for our gut. Yes. Now, when it comes to digestive healing, just to wrap it all up, you want to consider that the best meals 
to support digestive health are going to be the simple ones, the straightforward ingredients, the things you can find in the supermarket in most cases that don't come in packages are going to be the key things. So some of the dinners that we love and that we stick to tried and true, basically like a roast chicken dinner with sweet potatoes and some steamed veggies, maybe a fish with brown rice. Again, lots of vegetables. Some people have challenges when it comes to digestion with the brassicas vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, those kinds of things. You might want to ease into those a little more gently. Beans can also be a challenge on digestion. So it's not that you can't eat them. It's that you want to support your digestive health and then slowly introduce them. And some of the best things for easing the digestive process, giving your digestion a bit of a rest is having delicious fresh-made soups. One of my favorites is with sweet potato, carrot, a little bit of apple, optional coconut milk, some ginger and turmeric, and a little salt. And you can cook that in water. So just enough water to cover all the vegetables, simmer it, and then puree it. Or you could even do this in a bone broth to take it to the next level and serve it up with a little scoop of kimchi or sauerkraut on top. And you've got a really nice digestive healing soup. Great ideas, Megan. The bottom line with digestive healing diets and foods is you really have to cater it to you. Yes, good point. So we've given a lot of tips, a lot of ideas, but when it comes down to it, I don't think I've had two clients that have been able to thrive on the exact same diet or to achieve healing on the exact same diet. So it's always a process that we have to be patient with and listen to our body, listen to the symptoms, the language of the body, and then cater it to our specific needs. That was a great summary, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. We have loads of resources that cover all aspects of digestion and digestive healing over on the website. Head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast and click on this episode to get access to all of the additional information. If you are feeling inspired and ready to take ownership and responsibility for your own healing and learn how to support others on their journey, then join me, Josh, and hundreds of incredible like-minded people from around the world in the next run of the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. We offer the program only once a year and we get started in September. This course is life-changing. And even as a full module that Josh and I teach together, dedicated specifically to therapeutic healing foods using much of what we discussed in this episode. Head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more. Knowledge is important, but applying it is where the power is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you again next time.